Dragon Ball Z, One Piece, Naruto, all things that we love, all manga that were originally published in the legendary magazine Weekly Shonen Jump. But not every series can run for 300 chapters and have a hit anime. This is David. And this is Jordan. We're the hosts of Shonen Flop. Each episode, we look at manga that ran and jumped that didn't quite make it. We discuss what it did wrong, what it did right, how the series could have turned itself around, and ultimately, was it a flop or not? We're on all your favorite podcast apps. Keep on flopping, floppers. Welcome to the Weekly Cooldown. I am Kami JC, your host for another episode. If you're joining us for the first time, this is the show where we get to know the gaming news of the week and we get to know our guest. It is episode 96 of the Weekly Cooldown. It is June 19th. Happy Juneteenth! I get to say that. Um, let's uh, let's get into the headlines. Um, and I have a cool like surprise thing. Uh, my guest, or one of my guests, Marcy, is going to help me read them. Hello. Hi, Marcy. Hi. Are you ready to get into the headlines? Let's do it. Already. I shall start with uh, CD Projekt Red has announced another Cyberpunk 2077 delay, pushing the game back from the September 2020 release date to November 19th. In a statement posted to Twitter, the studio said that they are currently working on going through and ironing out all of the content uh, despite everything being finished. The studio also mentions that journalists are playing through the current game build in order to publish opinions on the game ahead of its release. Some fans seem eager but are happy to wait, and others seem to believe that the reason for the delay is tied to the next-gen system releases. Whatever the case may be, CD Projekt Red does say also that, quote, ready when it's done is not just a phrase to them, it's something they live by. Chess seems to be gaining popularity on Twitch as of recently. A surge in May of more than 8 million hours watched seems to be led and attributed to Hikaru Nakamura, a a US chess champion and youngest American player to achieve the Grandmaster title. Nakamura has been coaching other streamers as part of a tournament series run by Chess.com. Since the pandemic, uh, other games on Twitch have been seeing increase in viewership. However, chess is particularly notable because of its recent reach into the top 20 games on Twitch, which usually include the obvious, uh, such as Fortnite, League of Legends, and Call of Duty. And speaking of Fortnite, Season 3 has finally kicked off in Fortnite. A flood has now overtaken the world in Fortnite, and most of the game's map is now underwater. The trailer for Season 3 teases a few new features, such as a new way to travel by hooking onto and steering a shark. Uh, Some new skins, including Jason Momoa's 2018 Aquaman and new enemy NPCs, plus, of course, new weapons. Uh, Epic has also revealed that over time the water will recede, allowing use of cars to get to previously inaccessible parts of the map. In another watery-related gaming news, uh, the Sea of Thieves Haunted Shores update is live. With the update comes Ghost Ships. Ghost ships are apparently fragile and should go down without much hassle, but also come equipped with mines that drop in the water, uh, mines that drop in the water, plus wraith cannonballs, which apparently deal major damage. Ghost ships are similar to skeleton ships and spawn randomly. Aside from ghost ships, there are also new events running in the update, uh, including ashen expeditions, shark hunts, and more. During Pokemon Presents livestream on June 17th, we got a look at some new Pokemon games and apps in the works. Uh, Pokemon Smile is a new app encouraged, or that encourages children to brush their teeth by, uh, by brushing teeth to save and capture Pokemon while brushing. Say that 20 times fast. Pokemon Cafe Mix is a free-to-play puzzle game coming soon to the Switch and to smartphones where you match Pokemon icons to run your cafe business. Pokemon Go will get Mega Evolutions this year, though we did not get much in the way of information on that. Uh, Pokemon Snap is making a comeback to Switch after 20 years. The new Snap will revisit the same gameplay, it seems, but of course with newer Pokemon now that the catalog of Pokemon has reached over nine 
900 entries. It'll be exciting to see which ones make it into the game. Uh, but lastly, and perhaps most importantly, during the live stream, we were also teased to drop back into the live stream on June 24th for another announcement for Pokemon's next big project. Finally, Rockstar has cracked down on hackers who were previously spawning uh, KKK members in Red Dead Online. The KKK is a part of the Red Dead Redemption 2 single-player campaign, but players have been accessing a cheat to allow them to use KKK character models in the multiplayer mode. Apparently, the ability to do this was left fairly unchecked until recently, um, when instances of players using these KKK models began to spike. After being alerted by the community, Rockstar implemented a patch which checks the player's character model and deletes it if the model registers as a KKK model. And those are just some of the headlines for this week. Uh, again, you're listening to The Weekly Cooldown with me, Kami Jace. If you have uh, any, any headlines you want to talk about or any I didn't touch on, visit us on uh, Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Kami Jace Gaming or The Weekly Cooldown at WK Cooldown or join the Discord and uh, let's chat. Let's talk about it. Uh, thanks, Marcy, for helping me with those headlines. You're welcome. You know the interesting thing about having someone else read them is that my typos are a lot more apparent so <laughs> <laughs> i did my best i appreciate it i really do i that helped me a lot uh both with like you know slowing down and reading and also like holy shit my typos so <laughs> thanks thanks for that you're welcome. appreciate it um marcy who's joining us our good friend marlo marlo is that you hello is that you over marlo. there hi <laughs> I am Welcome here, to the party. Thank you. Um, past listeners might recognize me from uh, one episode in which I was a guest, and I'm back for this. Yes. And I'm very grateful that you asked me to be on for of course. Pride Month. It's awesome. Abs yes. So, as I say every episode, this is the Pride Month uh, a show, uh, one of four or five I will be doing this month um, where heteros are only allowed to listen. They are not guests. No <laughs> heteros allowed. Um, <laughs> um, well, welcome to both of you. Uh, thanks for being on. Thanks for having us. And of course, to start, I must ask the age-old question, what have you been playing this week? I'll let Marla go first. All right. Well, like everybody else, I've definitely been playing some Animal Crossing. Mm. Um, but one of the big games that seems to have a lot less hype behind it for some reason is the remake of the Pokemon Mystery Dungeon Red and Blue Rescue Team games mm. back from the third gen. They're being revived as a Switch game. Um, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon uh, Rescue Team DX. And it's so exciting for me because I loved the original Red and Blue Rescue Team games. Mm -hmm. I don't usually replay games, but those were some titles that I actively went through over and over, mostly because the end game content kind of spikes in difficulty. <laughs> and I was a little kid who wasn't interested in pushing the boundaries of my skill level, and I loved the story so much that the replay value was just there, so I could go through and... Um, you know, you also get to play as a Pokemon in this game and take a quiz, so you could play as a different Pokemon every time. Ooh. And um, depending on how you answered their questions. <clears throat> um, my favorite Pokemon to be was Skitty, because I feel like that's the Pokemon that's most me from all the options that were available. <laughs> um, and it's a really strategic game because every move you make inside of a dungeon, your enemies uh, move at the same time. So it's like this turn-based mm. style of roguelike dungeon crawling. So you get to think about what you are doing on the stage at the same time as all of the other Pokemon on the same stage. All the enemy Pokemon and your teammates who are usually falling behind you in the single file line. Um, so I want people to know that this game is so fun, and the DX version, the new version on Switch, um, it really makes a lot of great gameplay changes um, and builds upon the original games. You have basically the same story, same script, 
-hmm. but you have a whole lot more move sets and Pokemon that you can add to your team and it's like playing a whole new game honestly if you know the story that's great but getting to build your team in a different way you also get many more teammates in the dungeon the AI for the team following you is phenomenally better I mean you have to relearn a whole lot of the controls and I found that while I was playing I still have the muscle memory from the controls from that game over wasn't, 10 years ago. Wasn't that on like a Game Boy Advance though? Yes, it was oh a GBA God. and Nintendo DS title. Um, I only had a GBA and I managed to skip over DS completely. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm still finding myself trying to do the same things <laughs> with the controller that I did on the Game Boy Advance. That's exciting though. I love that a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, I see, I never see, uh, Hmm. Maybe that's the explanation I needed to go and play it myself, because I never was interested in Mystery Dungeon when it came out uh, the first time, and I've always seen other people get really excited for it, but I could never find the right person to kind of, you know, hook me into playing it. So yeah. I think I think I needed that. I might go, I might, uh, <laughs> I get paid tomorrow, I can buy it. I'm um, glad. Yeah, Spike Chunsoft is when they were formerly known as Chunsoft, they came up with the Mystery Dungeon um, style of the games. Mm-hmm. And you had spin-offs of Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy where you play as characters, minor characters from those games. You could play a Chocobo in one of them. That's cool. So I love you that. just do this dungeon crawling thing. And one of the nostalgia bits that makes this game so important to me is um, you could go online to these forums where people can help you. If you die in a dungeon, you lose all of your items. Mm. So if you don't want to lose all your items or your progress in the dungeon, which can take hours to get through at a time, then you just, in the uh, Game Boy and DS games, you would just get a rescue code and post it on these message board forums. And somebody, out of the goodness of their heart and maybe for a little reward, would use your code to rescue you in their game. This is why I love Nintendo games. Yeah. <laughs> There's always some cute little <laughs> thing like that where they try to yeah. engage like the community. I love that. Mm-hmm. You could also like use these rescue codes. Um, there, there was on these forums you could generate a code that would give you like an easy dungeon for maximum reward and I took mm. advantage of that <laughs> so much. I'm sure I would people... Just get all the figured out seats. how to uh, how to like data mine the the different parameters and generate sure. all the different stuff. <laughs> that sounds like an internet thing to do. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. And you, I literally wrote down get this game on my little notepad <laughs> here because I have to do that. That Yay. sounds it sounds like a lot of fun. I would love it if more people had hype for this game because it's such a good title yeah. and everybody knows how good the explorers of time darkness and sky um sequels to the first games were Mm. the story is said to be the most phenomenal in all the pokemon games Hmm. and i agree highly i haven't played it myself but i've watched other people play and it is really engaging creative and fun yeah i I never actually knew anything about the uh mystery dungeon games outside of like uh, one or two uh like Nintendo Power features on um, like the first set of games, so I was always very like you know if I I, I had to be selective about which games I got, so I'd, mm-hmm. I'd always just go for the mainline Pokemon games and never really got to experience any of the spinoffs. So yeah. But now is the time. Now yeah, this time. and Pokemon Rangers really really broke people's banks back in the day. It was mm, so popular. That is true. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. I'm very much into it. Uh, Marcy, what have you been playing? Well, aside from uh, trying to finally get through the end of Final Fantasy VII Remake and having a hard time finding time for it because I'm doing so much Final Fantasy XIV right now, Sure. Uh, I'm also continuing the uh, tradition of... Uh, finding myself in situations where I get to talk about Xenoblade on this podcast because Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition dropped at the end of May and it is truly, truly wonderful. Uh, 
the original Xenoblade Chronicles on um, the Wii and 3DS is one of my absolute favorite games <laughs> of all time. Like, of course. Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is great, uh, but it, in a lot of ways, can't hold a candle to the ways that I feel about the first game. Right. Um, and <clears throat> interestingly about this particular remastered version of the game, this is its first HD release, um, the 3DS port was done by an, uh, a second-party company, I think a third-party company even. It was contracted out uh, with essentially no involvement from, uh, from Monolith Soft outside of just sort of, you know, the basic levels of compliance that you would expect from a project like that. Mm -hmm. um, but what's really cool about this particular uh, remaster is that it was done entirely in-house at Monolith Soft. They put the game onto the Xenoblade 2 engine. Uh, they really reworked a lot of the systems for uh, important quality of life changes. They gave the characters entirely new models, um, mm. brand new faces. Like their the the their face models are completely overhauled and way more expressive. They have brand new facial animations, even though the like body acting animations are exactly the same. Um, mm -hmm. And they have stated on the record that they approached this remaster the same way that they have approached every other mainline Xenoblade title. They treated it really as like, we are going we're going to put the same amount of love and care into this and make it uh, like a rebirth of the game uh, more so than, you know, a simple texture up res or anything like that. Don't you like love that? that? I it's, really love that. It's so wonderful. Uh, like, it speaks volumes about how much this game has meant to people over the years. Right. Yeah, and it's really interesting too because the, uh, the first Xenoblade game really did not have that much reach. Like, the... The 3DS release was exclusive to new 3DS, so there was already a whole like backlog of people who just mm. couldn't even access it, even though they had the. Well, even though it was widely available, the the original Wii release. By the time that it finally came to the United States in 2012, two years after its original Japanese release, uh, was a GameStop exclusive for a very limited period of time. Oh. That's mm. yeah. That's a move. That's why. <laughs> that's why nobody knew knew about Xenoblade for the longest time outside of like really really dedicated Monolith Games. Soft and RPG fans. Ah, uh, so I was gonna say GameStop shoppers. Yes, that too. <laughs> but like you know, who's gonna go into GameStop and find out about Xenoblade for the first time? <laughs> sure. Right. No, you're absolutely right about yeah. that. Yeah. So uh, this is really the first time that this game has been widely available and simultaneously widely publicized mm. on a system that has an install base that rivals that of the Wii and the 3DS, mm -hmm. uh, which is just fantastic. It's like this perfect confluence of events. And I've seen so many people uh, just, you know, actually getting into Xenoblade for the first time, and it makes me so happy. Sure. Awesome. Absolutely. And I know from you, Marcy, how great this game is. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm very happy to hear more people uh, yeah. discovering it. And just for a second, I'll actually talk about the game itself, because uh, <laughs> yeah. I spent some time talking about the fact that it's a remaster and the circumstances of its release, but not actually the content of it. Um, just for those of you who might be unfamiliar, uh, the premise of the game is that there are these two giant beings uh, who have who exist in this endless expanse of ocean, and they sort of tower above it. And at one point, millennia prior to the game, the events of the game, they were f uh, they fought for a while, <laughs> and uh, for some reason, mysteriously stopped moving as. Uh, life began to spring up on their bodies and uh so the entire game takes place on the bodies of these two titans in lots of different varied locales uh, there are villages there are cities um <clears throat> there are swamps and caves and all sorts of incredibly oh. huge environments that are just gorgeous to behold and uh the remaster is also 
really working with that with the gorgeous scenery i might yes, add for sure and uh you play the main character shulk who most people know from super smash bros only mm-hmm. right <laughs> uh as he and a his band of friends and other travelers he meets along the way uh attempt to get revenge for the attacking robots from the other the other titan and uh maybe might find out that there's more than meets the eye to this situation (laughs) that's always really that's that's always the fun part of any like an rpg game is that it starts out with like i'm just an adventurer yeah i'm here on a on a revenge quest yeah and it's like and suddenly it's like oh wait i i actually have the context for why why this happened and oh no there's right. politics. <laughs> yep. I love the RPGs that start out as like, it's a revenge quest. And then it's like, oh no, I can't do the revenge anymore because we actually want this to happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not to say that that's how the game ends up, but you'll have to play and find out. It's cer- yeah. It certainly takes flavors of that. and But yeah, it's basically the main uh, thrust of the game is traveling from like up up the body of one titan so that you can cross the sword bridge that joins the two together to get to the Ooh, other titan. The I can't bridge. wait to play this game for myself too. I haven't played it. <laughs> <laughs> Still, I'm, I'm even though I've known about it for years, um I am excited to get a copy for myself and play and then we want to highly encourage everybody else to give it a go if you yes. feel that's your ballpark. It's got an incredibly engaging uh, MMO-esque um, battle system that mm-hmm. sort of functions in real time the same way that an MMO battle system does where you have like a bar at the bottom of the screen. You can just choose different actions. There's stuff like positional uh, attacks and uh, you know different characters of course have different roles. You got your healers and your tanks and, and whatnot. It's, uh, it's very, very neat. Very That's something neat. that also makes the game a bit more accessible, because I know a lot of people, myself included, who have difficulty playing those real-time offensive games, like shoot-em-ups, etc. Um, but this gives a semi-controlled... Um, not exactly turn-based, but very yeah. It's it's um, a it's a game that functions sort of. through basically real-time menuing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like like um, a lot of early JRPGs, they have a timer. Yep. Um, for how long until you are charged to make your move, and it's about being speedier than the enemy. Similar to that, right? Yep. All your all your abilities have cooldowns. You have an, an auto attack that just happens uh, whenever you're not activating one of your arts which is what the uh the abilities are called arts it's always something like arts spells texts yep something like that well that's awesome i love the enthusiasm you both bring for the games (laughs) you are playing um real rpg hours real rpg hours with marlo and marcy Um, well, that's great. That's super great. Um, we are going to jump right into the main stories for this week. Uh, starting with, starting with, starting with, Valve. Valve has pledged to sponsor the Game Devs of Color Expo on September 19th. Uh, it is an online expo. The organizer of the event named Sean Alexander Allen says that this is a decent first step after Valve was called out for being silent while other companies made statements about Black Lives Matter. In the wake of Valve's silence, apparently many game devs, uh, especially indie ones, pulled their games from Steam in a show of solidarity. Uh, It is worth pointing out that Valve has not actually made a statement about sponsoring the Dev Expo, but uh, this information comes straight from Alan and is confirmed by gamesindustry.biz. So, you know, that's cool, I guess. I'm still kind of wondering why uh, Gabe Newell and all his friends over there decide... Gabe Newell? Yeah, that's the guy. Yep, yep, um, decide Decide to be, uh, you know, kind of silent about about things, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. Well, well, you know, his, his favorite class is the spy. Requires some amount of discretion. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> that yeah, is a good I point. I see a lot of uh, high-profile figures just keeping their mouth shut for whatever reason, either they're afraid they're going to say something wrong, or they just don't want to chase away a whole 
portion of their audience for any reason. That is that has been an interesting issue with Valve for a while. They yeah. have been very reluctant to engage in any sort of curation of their libraries. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Steam Greenlight was a huge uh, problem for the Steam libraries in terms of not only just very low quality games getting through asset flips and the like, but also um, they, I don't know, they've always been very wishy-washy about even saying where they stand on allowing certain types of content, certain types of like, you know, even like hate speech and... uh, Quote-unquote censorship. Right. Like there's... They've never really been a company who seems to have any kind of ideology whatsoever or even just care for what products they are enabling to be sold. Right. I think Steam and Valve as a whole really does focus on the money aspect of video games. Um, Simply because, I mean... They don't have to say much or really anything at all. It's nice that they're helping to sponsor the game uh, Devs of Color Expo, um, but if you look at what they've been doing for the month of June, they have a Summer of Pride 2020 sale, which we covered on the last episode, that you know shows and celebrates the best games of LGBTQ plus representation. But that's, I mean, that's all they're doing. They they slashed sure. off some prices. And they're like, here's the, you know, here's the games made by or featuring, uh, you know, uh, queer characters. But that's, I mean, that's it, right? right. Ultimately, it's... for Valve, uh, that is just a thing that get, gets them publicity and money. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and sure, like, you know, that's not to diminish the fact that it's nice to see a company doing something like that theme wise and especially highlighting uh highlighting lgbt creators but at the same time you know again they they haven't made a single statement one way or the other regarding the black lives matter movement absolutely it's especially interesting considering you know that just how outspoken a lot of brands have actually been in a move that is surprising on some level given how generally apolitical um, the, the overall landscape of brands as existing entities. Oh, sorry. Um, oh. <laughs> I, I suddenly was cut off and um, I don't think you could hear me and I couldn't hear either of you. I yeah. heard a sound that. that seemed to imply that you had left for a bit. Yes. Yeah, and yes. I, I refreshed the page. I'm back. Okay. Sorry Welcome about that. Back. That's okay. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. Given given how generally apolitical, um, in terms of you know, messaging, the uh, overall landscape of brands on the whole has been for you know almost forever. Uh, it's it's interesting that at a very notable juncture where almost every brand that isn't actively courting a like bigoted or white supremacist uh, portion of their demographic uh, has made at least the tiniest of statements and Mm -hmm. yet Valve hasn't, and all that that really says to me is that they are worried about losing business. Yeah. Yeah. And a a specific portion of business, too. Yes, exactly. And frankly, a portion of business that they can do without. They own Steam. Absolutely right. (laughs) You know? I, I can't imagine that that would ever make a dent in their profits that was actually something to worry about. So, I don't know, Valve. I'm glad they're sponsoring this event, but 
It is a decent and just step. a bit of um, an observation. I feel like definitely to show um, support for the obviously. Um, I want. I don't want to get into like some kind of oppression Olympics discussion because sure. I'm sure people will see it that way and misconstrue it that way. But really, if there is a group who is audibly and noticeably suffering, then um, stating that you are on their side should be probably the least problematic thing you can do. Right. And it says a lot when people aren't willing to do that um, because of the money concept that comes to the forefront. It just becomes so transparent when you are a brand and you don't take part in the current political climate because we know that silence is for the um, uh, the party that's in goodness, power. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yes. Sil silence benefits those who are in power. Yes, and the, the status quo is oppressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The status quo is oppressive. That's the best way to s summarize it and if you are willing to step out of that comfort zone and make a statement um i think that's the bare minimum anyone can really do in these times just right. because it's so obvious who's in the wrong in my opinion <laughs> yeah. as somebody who was a huge fan of valve when they were at least as much of a game developer as they are a retail company um it is really strange to see them starting to get into this space where they are so big and so established in their retail business that they are sort of this weird unkillable monolith you know yeah they can't i like i don't know if i I'm probably not going to stop using Steam because I have so many games that I, that you know, under my Steam library. I can stop buying things from them, but I'm still part of their ecosystem because I right. I don't want to rebuy all these games, you know? Yeah, too right. big to fail means that you just have so much clout and so much going for you that even big mistakes, even losing 50% of your demographic is not actually going to hurt as much yeah. as they want you to think it will. Mm -hmm. Because literally if I had um, a thousand followers and 500 of them were white supremacists and I said, get out of here, I would just be benefited from them leaving. I would not have a negative impact <laughs> from losing half of my viewership or what have you. Sure. That's, that's on a small scale too. You may even, um, you know, kind of gain those 500 back once they see what you've done, which yeah. I think would be my point to why Valve should uh, say something. I mean, I, I would argue personally, and hopefully I'm correct, that there are more people against white supremacy uh, and for like Black Lives Matter and, you know, for the, uh, people who are oppressed in our uh, in our world um, who would then look at Valve and say oh they're good I can buy from them again or I can support them um, you know rather than there being more people on the other side who would pull out and then like Valve loses money which I don't again I don't <laughs> right. think is a thing and if you look at it from the um, the monolith perspective um, the if you even if you are just in it for the money and your words are meaningless you should at least think about the benefits that white knighting will bring you come on right it's a, <laughs> it's a cynical perspective to yeah. look at it from a, a standpoint of business rather than you know humanitarian goodwill which of course is the uh, more compelling option i think for a lot of people but apparently mm -hmm. not for valve <laughs> it's very like, it's very strange yeah i also have to wonder if maybe because they're so big and because they're always kind of put under the spotlight they just want to be as kind of neutral as possible um may, maybe it doesn't behoove them 
one way or another to say, yeah, we don't like those guys, or yeah, we do like these per people um, because of, you know, X, Y, Z reason. Um, it, it may not help that it, it, in their mind, I guess, uh, in their in their valve meetings. Um, it may not be of any importance one way or another to even so much as put out a statement. Sure. Yeah, I think that might be happening as a direct result of the saturation of media we receive on a daily basis, mm -hmm. the traveling of information, the ability to just watch something from a distance and have so many eyes on you at the same time. We are in the age of information and it's very easy for us to for to have snap decisions about the media we consume sure. because we're not like snail mailing to communicate with each other. We're not subscribing to magazines so often. We're not um, restricted by our lack of technology and our lack of progress in the vein of media and etc. So all sorts of new revenues have opened up for criticism and content. So you basically have literally billions of people in the world, okay? And all of those people, or a majority of them, have access to your content, mm -hmm. thanks to the internet. So that's a huge audience that you could be potentially disappointing or getting money from. Mm -hmm. If I've disappointed you uh, with this podcast, I apologize, but you know, <laughs> only a little bit. Just a little uh, bit. I will say as a maybe closing thing for this, uh, I, I am glad to see um, there, there is apparently, from what I've seen on Twitter, a re reasonable contingent of people who are, have been actually pulling their games from Steam in protest of mm -hmm. their silence on this matter. And I hope that that, yeah. uh, I hope that, that makes a difference. I also want to say, if these indie artists who make uh, barely a fraction of what these bigger AAA titles are making, these AAA industries are making. If those people can have a conscience and risk losing everything, then what do you, what's your excuse when you mm. <laughs> can definitely make that all back mm -hmm. with how big you are as an industry, an industrial um, brand? Absolutely. Indeed. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I I wish I could I, I wish I could pick the brain of Valve employees. Um, if you're listening to this, please come on this podcast and explain yourselves. No, <laughs> um, you can do it anonymously, maybe. <laughs> it's I guess it's just um, it's actually something I guess um, maybe we should uh, talk about it a little bit. I guess. I don't know the kind of demographics at Valve. Maybe there needs to be some diversity within Valve's mm. core for them to kind of, you know, express um, any kind of ideals one way or another. Um, but with that being said, um, is there, I guess, is there more we can do for diversity? Um, so I was actually having a... Uh, conversation with my boyfriend recently because he's been playing again a lot of um he's he's big with all the bethesda games specifically um the elder scrolls of course because you know we're nerds in this house um and he's been going on and on about you know the story for skyrim and the story for oblivion and the story for morrowind are all really uh, different but uh, two of them are really, really, really focused and really good, and one of them's kind of meh, and blah, blah, blah. I won't say which ones, because I... Well, first of all, I can hardly remember. And secondly... <laughs> <laughs> and secondly, um, it, there's a lot of exposition that I don't quite have that he does. But anyway, he expressed the idea of um, what if they were to make a, like, Morrowind movie, and then explained that there are all these different races... And even though you choose and make your own character, how can you uh, make a character uh, 
who is you know some kind of in a world where we're trying to be more diverse in our media how can you make one particular race um or gender for that matter um the defining hero and what would you do to kind of push that diversity and the first thing he said is that um i mean we just need more diversity in the editing rooms right we need more diversity in the core um employment uh areas uh where where these uh, companies uh are right like representation in uh the text of media is i i think a secondary concern to representation amongst staff of the people making that media absolutely uh, yeah, you know, that's, we that's always the primary concern, really. We, I think, sometimes focus too much on what is being communicated and not on who is communicating it. That's right. Yeah, if you are inspired to, as a person of privilege, maybe to start speaking and telling the story of people who are less privileged than you then your first goal in mind should be to hire those people, get their um, direct input mm-hmm. into your game development, and it, it work from the ground up. Don't go into it thinking um, that your story, um, like, oof. Like, think of where your story has to be told from, mm-hmm. and remind yourself that you're not the expert on that particular perspective. Right. Um, I am queer and I'm also white, so I can't speak to the, I I can speak to the experience of just queer um, white people for sure. You know, maybe queerness in general, but that all depends on other factors intersectionality yeah intersectionality Mm -hmm. (laughs) but if i were to decide um just in the novel sense like writing say i wanted to write a novel and have it star a person of color um there definitely needs to be an equal field of my writing technique influenced by the person who is actually an expert on the experiences of people of color a person right. of color. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because, and as a trans person too, um, you can see non-trans people and the characters that they have created. It's very cringe. <laughs> you <laughs> do not like to see it. Sure. So basically, well, we while we need the um diversity it starts with the hiring process it starts in the writing room and it starts Mm -hmm. with the uh, person with the idea acknowledging that they need help right you have to (laughs) bring this back around to valve you have to wonder what their hiring practices are like when it comes to diversity uh if it has led to a company that is reluctant to make a statement in uh you know, at this specific time of all times in uh, support of the Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. movement. This is also why unions are important. Because when you have um, a big head at the top of everything, and it's a person of privilege who really doesn't know what the experiences of underprivileged folks are, um, and say they're not exactly the most open-minded of people, so they decide that they are just never going to hire um enough of a diverse staff now i will say the interesting thing about valve in this case is that everybody at valve uh at least last that they talked about it had uh hiring power yeah i was going to say that if if you see that your boss is obviously not uh super keen on hiring people of color, queer people, etc. As an employee, that's why I was saying unions are important. It's good to go 
and speak into the world of your experience at this company and maybe it would speak to the higher ups the importance of diversity <coughs> if the employees mm. currently there the non-diverse employees even were to speak up yeah having a more diverse group would definitely be an improvement in my work environment if you can acknowledge that as a person of privilege that's a great start yep so i wonder to valves to, to the point made just now about Valve's uh, hiring process where yeah they also don't really em- they don't have bosses there either which is yeah. the interesting thing in this it, case th- so I mean I, I gotta figure out who's working at Valve then I know because right? it, it, it seems <laughs> almost like <laughs> pick up the phone call Valve 1-800-V-A-L-V-E um, <laughs> it seems it seems weird because um, if your entire staff has hiring power shouldn't one of them have been like hmm you know what we need <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it it brings up some really really interesting questions in the case of this company in particular for those yeah. reasons right you got to find out what what are the hurdles um, yeah got to got hope that those employees can speak up about it if they if they do so choose what are the hurdles a, and how unique are they to Valve in particular? Right. Yeah. This might be a bonus expose episode where I sneak into Valve as some some employee. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you get get hired at Valve. Pretend that you are a cishet white dude, and just be like, "Hello, hi." <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm imagining. White. You can tell by my uh, uh, baseball. Um, <laughs> like, like that one that one movie uh sorry to bother you oh yeah that <laughs> hey that could be fun um yeah <laughs> okay um let's move on to the second piece of news we have a little more on the light side something a little more interesting um well not that valve isn't interesting but anyway um the first fda approved prescription video game uh, studio Akali Interactive has created the first FDA-approved prescription video game. Uh, the game can be authorized by doctors to allow kids between the ages of 8 and 12 to play the game to help treat ADHD. Uh, the game apparently underwent seven years of clinical trials and studied over 600 children. According to the studio and the studies, um, improvements in ADHD impairments following a month of treatment with the game, called Endeavor RX. Uh, were maintained for up to another month, um, with the most common side effect being frustration and headache, which sounds like any game. Um, (laughs) So, I mean, it's pretty interesting um, and very uh, futuristic sounding, I'll say. Yeah, (laughs) Um, I I like the sound of something that can be used in a a psychiatric... um, study environment like um like any prescription um physical therapy is a thing why not this sort of mental exercise like regular mental therapy but it's also incorporating um regular skills that help refine um you know refining motor skills is a big thing that um video games have been touted to do I have ADHD. I was diagnosed with borderline ADD when I was six or seven, and it's impacted my life greatly. If I had something like this and it was a video game, I love freaking video games, okay? If someone told me, what if we prescribed you this video game to play? I'd be like, do (laughs) it. (laughs) I mean, look look back at the earlier news of uh, Pokemon Smile. Yeah. (laughs) Gamifying uh, just about anything uh, mm. can make it so much more palatable to not only children, but also adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's something that games in general are, people are exploring with games. Um, we, we all know it from the Jumpstart games that video games have been used to educate children since there have been video games. Sure. Um, and seeing that it's still somehow not a mainstream common thing to have educational well i guess it is you know to have educational games like uh um nintendo was it um brain training something like that 
Oh, oh brain, brain age. age, yes. Yeah, brain, brain age. Actually, minutes a day. I was actually yeah. just thinking about that because um, my grandmother actually decided that she wanted to get um, both a Wii and a 3DS, the Wii 4, Wii Fit, which my whole family used, and actually I stand by that as <laughs> a decent tool for, uh, you know, losing a bit of weight. Um, but also, um, she bought the 3DS for Brain Age, and she really enjoyed, not only enjoyed playing it, but like, she said she felt refreshed, she said she really, like, felt like she was thinking clearer, like, just from playing a, a video game and it, it felt yeah. really nice to kind of um you know kind of get some result of that um by watching her play the game yeah so we we know that video games can be effectively used to train our brains so it it does come logical to um create games specifically for helping us um therapeutically in mental disorders and mental hurdles and such. I think that this has the potential to be something really positive. There was just one little problem that I had when I oh. saw um, oh. the article for this game and the website. It is in association with, in partnership with Autism Speaks. Mm. Oh no, I did not yeah. notice that. <laughs> yeah. If you, oh gosh, and that's the biggest, most worrisome thing. Can you um, can you uh, explain yeah. a little bit more on that? Yeah, Autism Speaks. Um, they have the logo of the puzzle piece, and um, autistic people all over the place, neurodivergent people too, in general, um, recoil at the organization because it is well known that their practices um, have gone from unethical at best or mm. well, unethical at worst and misunderstood at best because um, apparently nobody up until recently I believe on their board of directors was actually autistic mm. so we have all of this quote unquote professional input from people who don't have firsthand experience with what it's like to be autistic just and they they kind of like have perpetuated also some really bad stereotypes about autistic people that I I'm on the spectrum by the way I am autistic <laughs> um, they consider us you know there's a stereotype that autistic people are more childlike mm -hmm. and that autistic people are rather helpless and need big adult help in order mm -hmm. to function as normal human beings that's not the case i'm not going to go into a whole discussion about what autism sure. actually is but there's just a, a lot of harmful um labels and stereotypes being put out there a lot of people at autism speaks have promoted harmful um treatments for autism including the eradication right. of autism as a mental disorder which that is, is really eesh. Looking that the wrong way that autism. I wanted to uh, bring up, especially yeah, the fact that, that Autism Speaks has been known to push the narrative that autism is something that we should attempt to prevent yeah. <laughs> appearing. Yeah, in, like like it's a cancer children. or something. Yeah, right. like yeah, like <laughs> it's it's some sort of deformity or whatever mm -hmm. else. Uh, and you know the uh, counter argument to that is that. Autism provides a unique perspective of the world. It's also, it's it's not a problem so much as it's just a different way that a brain can work. And right. mm -hmm. instead of attempting to, you know, instead of attempting to bring people toward neurotypical, uh, like, I don't know, be, being born more neurotypical, I guess. Yeah. We should be, be able, we, we should be mm -hmm. focusing on uh, learning to, you know, live more in harmony with people who are non-neurotypical, -neurotyp learning to... Neurodivergent is a good word that people yes, use. Yes, yes, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. and, we, and we should be working to, you know, allow neuro neurodivergent people to have more of a voice and be more 
uh, more open and express themselves the way that they want to and not feel pressured to, you know, yeah. appear neurotypical. That, yeah, mm. that is a, it's a whole discussion. I would be happy to um, discuss it at length with anyone willing to listen. But yeah, basically, that's one of my big concerns about this uh, prescribed ADHD game is that they're doing it in partnership with Autism Speaks. There's even been talks about it being used for um, treatment of autism. Um, the other concern that I did have, though, on a little bit of a lighter note, but I guess not really, is that to people who are familiar with the way um, pharmaceuticals work, it can come off as a cash grab. Mm. Because um, I learned that um, certain pharmaceuticals um, have, they, they have patents and um, copyright claims on sure. certain drugs. Mm-hmm. Which is, it sounds astounding. Like, um, why are you patenting the cure for a disease? It's the whole uh, thing with Martin Shkreli all over again, where you, right. where you, suddenly the prices um, for insulin shot up. So, what we see here is there may be genuine attempts at helping people with ADHD um, sharpen their abilities so that their ADHD is easier to cope with and um, so that they can function in a way that they're satisfied with but also is it necessary to make it a prescription only thing that's what it says it's prescription only and I'm like that's really weird because I'm sure that the majority of the population would benefit greatly from this being um, released to the public, but because it's under a prescription, they can charge whatever they want. Right, and the issue with prescriptions as well is that they exist, as far as I understand, mostly to control the usage of a thing for safety purposes, generally. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, you prescribe a dangerous drug so that somebody is not able to you know obtain amounts that would harm them, you know yeah. harm them or cause addiction or perhaps even you know allow some sort of uh, other illicit business practice to take place <laughs> this is just so funny i'm imagining this video game is dangerous <laughs> so it must be regulated. Doing a back alley deal I mean, for a video can, game because it's yeah. prescription only. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine tons of games that could have used that maybe. But <laughs> but like it's a video game. Come on. Why do you have to make it prescription only other than to make more money off of it? It's hmm. really weird. That's fair. <laughs> Interesting stuff. Um all right. Well, those are the stories for today. Um, we are closing in on the end of the show. And uh, as we move along toward the end of the show, we always ask that you, the guests, give recommendations to the listeners. Uh, which game or game uh, should they be playing or on the... Uh, wow, hmm, words. How do those work, huh? Uh, which game should we be playing or be on the lookout for thank you thank you words i'll take my emmy now emmy <laughs> that's why not right. why not <laughs> um marcy why don't you kick it off well yeah and it's it's so hard for me to not just say xenoblade again because i yeah. feel like i already gave my pitch for that at the beginning of the <laughs> the beginning of the thing um you know i i think i've said this before but i'll i'll trot it out again check out mahjong soul it is a wonderful uh browser and uh, mobile device game which is centered around Mahjong, uh, which is a for uh, so, sort of it's a game that people either don't know anything about or have misconceptions about because of the prevalence of Mahjong Solitaire. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people think Mahjong, they think about Mahjong Solitaire and they're like, oh, cool, a tile matching game. <laughs> and they don't realize that Mahjong Solitaire is literally the same thing you know it, it is to like basically any other card card game as Ma- 
Hmm. Let me try it again. Uh, card yeah, sol- hard, huh? yeah, card solitaire <laughs> is basically uh, card solitaire is to any other you know more complex card game as mahjong solitaire is to mahjong. <laughs> so yeah. mahjong, it's a competitive uh, four-player uh, game using uh, tiles that you know you have to create a hand. Um, it's very fun. It's very well designed in terms of the overall complexity of it. It uh, can be kind of addictive just in terms of, like, you know, compared to a lot of other tabletop games, I think. Mm. And Mahjong Soul is the best online Mahjong game I have ever played. It is so good. It's got gotcha elements, although they are very, like, sequestered into the realm of extremely frivolous and not necessary for enjoying any, any aspect of the game. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I would I would recommend giving that a try if you're just interested in a really fun uh, like competitive tabletop experience online. Nice. Yeah, nice. I d- I actually didn't know that mahjong was <laughs> different from the tile matching solitaire game until uh, Marcy told me about it. So I was really mind blown. Um, I'll give my recommendation now. Um, of course, there is um, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon DX, but I will also say um, there is a PC game that you can get on Steam called Smile For Me, and it's a whole lot of fun. It's great for pride. There's a huge, diverse variety of characters. It's a, a point-and-click adventure game where you solve puzzles. Um, you find yourself waking up in this um, sort of apartment complex building called the Habitat, and the keeper of the Habitat has some shady things going on, apparently. He seems to be a little bit um, weird mm-hmm. and odd, and you have to go around the Habitat speaking to all the other habitations, the dwellers of the Habitat, who all seem to be there um, because for one reason or another, they're unhappy in their lives. And as the player, you get to go around, solve puzzles, talk to everybody, and find ways to help make everybody happy. And it's really fun and cute and colorful and um, sometimes just really weird, but the humor is really good and so is the music. And a whole bunch of people did, like, the voices for these characters, which are just kind of like, um, wah, 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 <laughs> kind of like sounding <laughs> oh, sure. backwards. But it, it's really fun. Um, and I recommend you give it a shot if you want to play a sort of game like that with a diverse cast, cute music and aesthetic, and fun jokes. Very good. Very good. Um, I think for the maybe second or third week in a row, I'm going to... uh, No, I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm going to actually recommend uh, Dishonored 2. Um, I've been playing through it uh, recently. Um, I just think it's a solid entry into the Dishonored uh, universe, if you will. Um, It's a lot of fun it's got great stealth elements it's got um a weird story it's weird i'm not really into the story a whole lot but it it is um it is fun to play um so if you haven't already go check it out i'm also going to quickly plug um a game that i tweeted about last night let me just make sure i get the name right because it was a really cool looking game and i really want to like talk to the developer behind it it's an indie game by the name of she dreams elsewhere um it is actually there's a demo actually out on steam right now um it has truly some of the best uh uh like uh, just visuals um the atmosphere feels like both creepy and very comforting at the same time um, it is described uh, by the developer as a surreal adventure RPG where you must traverse an ethereal dreamscape 
confront your inner nightmares and escape from a never-ending coma which is i mean i'm sure there's a lot of um a a lot to unpack there um but it won a good number of awards already um and it's just kind of in its demo phase really it it looks like it's gonna be really really amazing um and i'm excited about it so um honestly check out the just check out the demo and see for yourself what was the name of the game again she dreams elsewhere You play Astalia, an anxiety-ridden, comatose woman on a journey to confront the nightmares preventing her from awakening, while also finding out exactly how this mess happened in the first place, but some nightmares are harder to confront than others. Um, Deeply personal narrative, surreal, visually striking world brimming with mystery, so you know, all the things I freaking like. Um... (laughs) And some really good-looking uh, black and brown characters. I mean, it, it is... The, 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 there's no real skin color, but you can tell. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that being said, um, uh, we have to finish off the episode last with plugs. So, please, friends, tell us if you wish to be found on the internet where we can do that, and if you have anything else to plug. Well, you can find me, Marlo, at Chromorbid on Twitter. Also, Chromorbid on Twitch. I am, I've been away from uh, being able to stream games until soon. I'm getting a PC built, and I will be streaming as often as I can once I get a schedule figured out. And, yeah. Uh, you can find me at Shadolith on Twitter, S-H-A-D-O-L-I-T-H. Um... Follow my roommate Paul on Twitch. <laughs> there you go. Twitch.tv slash Bonzi77. He's gotten, yeah. he started streaming a whole lot recently, and uh, he just got his uh, like Twitch partnership and everything. Mm-hmm. He's got some, nice. some emotes set up and everything. It's a real chill time. I show up on stream once in a blue moon. I've uh, been on. It's cool. Yeah. It's yeah. a lot of fun. Paul's also been on the show. So you may yes. be familiar with him. And I watch it and I agree. <laughs> it's real chill times. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Um, all right. Well, as always, you can find me at Kamijay's Gaming on Twitter. And you can find the weekly cooldown on Twitter as well at WK Cooldown. Be sure to visit the weekly cooldown Facebook page. Visit WK Cooldown for more news and other episodes. Be sure to leave a review or comment on Apple Podcasts, please. Uh, I won't beg anymore, but I will because I need it. So please review on Apple Podcasts. It helps the show a ton. I know it's like the most generic thing you've heard podcasters say it before, but I mean, if we're all saying it, it has to be true, right? (laughs) That's the way logic works. Um, Be sure to check out the links in the description, including, of course, our Humble Bundle for this week. Um, and, of course, support your favorite charities and support the show. Our logo and art is by Corgian of Doghouse Esports. Follow him at Doghouse Corgian on Twitter. And our intro music is done by Zach Brider of Captive Portal. That's all for the weekly... Hmm, what's my show name? That's all for the weekly cooldown. I'm Kami Jace. I'm Marlo, Cromorbid. Oh, uh, I'm Marcy. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> And we'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you.